back to the basics, an opportunity to think afresh and think anew and to, and to zoom out and to ask God to help us think about our routines or to help us learn some healthy routines of things that may uh, be going on in our lives and how we're relating to him. And I, I have so enjoyed thinking through uh, how, to, how to present this, thinking through how the Spirit of God might speak to us as a congregation uh, through getting back to some of the very basic things that we find at the uh, heart of not only Scripture, but as uh, we share that, uh, the, uh, really the, the heart of the purpose of Gossip Memorial Church, to worship the Lord, to grow and to share. So today, part two on worship, if you have a Bible, will be, in, as you see on the screen, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, the book of Acts is a book of stories about how the disciples of Jesus began to obey the things that he taught them to do. And so as we get into uh, this, this passage, we're going to uh, see a number of principles from Acts chapter 2, not just today, but in the coming weeks. And so it'll be a good one for your personal study. I uh, would invite you uh, to do that. But for today, 36 through 47, let's hear the word of the Lord together. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. I want you to think about something in your life that you do on a regular basis. This could be a daily basis. This could be a monthly basis. This could be an annual basis. Something that you do, and maybe it doesn't take a whole lot of thought. It's just something that's on the calendar. It's something that's a part of general maintenance at the home, <laughs> uh, whatever it happens to be. It's just something that you do, and it doesn't take a whole lot of thought. Uh, for me, I think a good analogy of this is the annual vacation. It doesn't take much thought. It's a certain week of the year. This is where we're going to go, and this is generally the same time. And, and so you, you just kind of do it, and you, over and over you do it. It's the annual thing, 
And it's not bad. I'm not here to say that it's bad to do things. But I think sometimes in life, we can, we can lose our appreciation for the meaning of things the longer we do them. All right? And I, I, I know that that can be true in a lot of ways as we think about our faith, as we think about our life, um, as especially as we think about being together. We go through the same routines. We attend a worship service. We attend a Bible study. We are here together. We have this certain thing on our calendar. Next week is the missions conference. It's an annual event. It's one more time to, to do these things. And so I think sometimes without even realizing it, we may take some of these things for granted. We may not think through them from a fresh perspective. We may just find ourselves going through the motions and doing them. And so I hope over these weeks of doing this service or a series of getting back to the basics that we get a fresh chance to evaluate. What is it that we do? Why do we do these things? I really believe this series is going to be important to us as we think about life together as a local church. And so if you missed last week, and you haven't gone back and listened at least to the sermon from last week, I'm going to encourage you to do that. Uh, take the, the ones that you've missed in this series and to go back, spend the time, and listen to those messages if you happen to uh, have missed one. They're available on our Facebook page. Uh, they're available uh, each week on our website as well. Okay, so let's find some things out about worship. I'll refer back to uh, Acts chapter 2 as we go along. I'm not going to be giving specific verse-by-verse instruction uh, like I might in other longer series or passages. Uh, what I want for this passage to do from Acts 2, 36 to 47, is to be a guide for us over the next several weeks. Okay, what we're uh, doing by looking at this scripture is trying to, to grasp what church uh, purpose and active Jesus following meant to the earliest believers in Jesus Christ as we find them gathering and beginning to live out their lives together in Acts chapter 2. I, and I hope that we see that worship will change our lives, and I hope that we see that worship is a part of life. It's not a compartment. It is a part of who we are. It is a part of our day-to-day -day lives. It's not a compartment that happens only at this time. And we'll kind of flesh out some of these ideas from the things that we uh, see in Scripture and through some other illustrations as well today. This idea of worship being a part of life, it, it takes me back to the time in my life when I first became a believer. I uh, first became a believer. I was 14 years old. Growing up, I had uh, attended church. I loved the, the Bible stories. I loved the music and uh, thinking about what I was singing. I didn't mind. Uh, most Sundays, I didn't mind going to church. It was something that I enjoyed. But uh, in those years leading up to and then immediately following when I became a believer, I remember that time in my life as I be just began to relate to God. I remember just kind of talking with him about my day or my whatever was going on. If I was outside, I would, I would sing a song that we used in church or sang at youth group or whatever, and it would kind of just be on my mind. And I begin to talk to God about these different things. I, 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 don't even, I don't even know how to explain it. I would, before a basketball game, I would pray, God, help us win this basketball game. I didn't know if I should pray that or not, 
But I thought, why not? I'm just talking to God to help us win today, you know. And uh, I don't know what to pray, so I'm just talking to him about the basketball game. And, and then, uh, you know, my, my grandmother passed away. And I thought, uh, God, uh, I don't know how all this works. Can my grandmother, you know, hear me right now? I miss her. Can, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'd have all these questions. And so I would talk to, talk to God about that. And um, so, so back in that time, uh, things that I remember, other than my, my braces and kind of scrubbing the, my face to get the zits off, uh, uh, I, I remember that I just loved God. And I would find myself thinking about him in the midst of a, a junior high. <laughs> and it was a very, you know, awkward time. It is, you're developing, but I just remember God being a part of that, even if it was some superficial things like a, a basketball game. Now, if you've follow Jesus for a while, or even if you're beginning to follow Jesus, this is kind of the, the point here in thinking about worship being a part of life. Hopefully we'll move past some of the superficial things and begin to talk about uh, to God about things that, that really are affecting us or, or really matter to us, but I hope that you'll see that worshiping and growing and sharing our faith, that we're not limiting that to a place or an experience. A uh, scripture that came to mind in thinking through this is Deuteronomy 6. This is direct instruction from God to his people in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's great right there. Just spend time in your week just loving the Lord your God. Lord, I love you with my heart today. I love you with my mind. My might, my strength, okay? Uh, and these words that I command you today uh, shall be on your heart. Now look at what happens. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you think that experiencing God was limited to a celebration when they went together to the temple? <laughs> no. Celebrating God, worshiping God, learning about God, uh, wanting to know God more was happening on a day-to-day -day basis in the lives of the people. And this is what God commanded. So if you're, again, if you're brand new to all this and you're wondering, how can I worship God? Well, this is a passage you can go to that says, hey, think about God's word. You can learn about him by thinking about what it says in the Bible and to do it not just at a study or not just at a, a thing you attend on Wednesday night or on Sunday, but think about it. Get your Bible out and begin to interact. And, and so that's, that's worshiping as a part of life. We were reminded last week that we don't have to go to a place uh, for worship. Uh, in the, when we become believers in Jesus, uh, we find out this amazing truth that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and God doesn't just dwell in a specific place in this world, and we don't have to go there to worship him. Wherever believers are, God is, because God dwells in us. And that's exciting, and we want to know that. So what do we, how do we see this in, uh, in the New Testament? Uh, I'm going to get there. Acts 2, 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God together. We see that in, in the way that the early believers uh, were living. Part of it, they gathered publicly. We'll talk about that in a moment. Part of it was day by day, they were gathering 
uh, in their homes? When does worship happen for you? When does worship happen for us? Okay. We've already seen this. A life of worship is sacrificial. Question is, what is worship? Might stop and think about that for a moment. What is worship? Is it just when we sing songs together? I worshiped with the congregation for 15 minutes. I worshiped this week. That's my worship. Or is it other things? What about serving people? What about refusing to gossip or looking away from pornography or guarding our affections to make sure they line up with God's word? What about giving of ourselves, our time, our money? All these are acts of worship. Romans 12, maybe some of you have thought about this when you see worship is sacrificial. Here's a great verse uh, that shows us about our life being an offering to God. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the language of sacrifice and worship uh, was that in the Old Testament, believers would bring various types of offerings, things that they had or uh, animals that they had as part of their possessions or some that they maybe had purchased, and they would offer those uh, to God as worship. And so it was a sacrificial offering in that sense. Of, I'm bringing something of worth to be sacrificed to the Lord. Well, this view, honestly, I'm glad we don't have to do that. Jesus is the final sacrifice before God. He is the way to have a relationship with God. He is the way to forgiveness of sin because he's sacrificed for us. And, and that's awesome. I, I encourage you, if you haven't uh, decided to follow Jesus and you wonder, what do I have to do? You, you trust the Lord that he is the sacrifice, that you can't do it. You don't have enough stuff or money or time or energy in your body or in your life to impress God and uh, in, in, in earn a relationship with him. You don't. Jesus did. So he's the final sacrifice. He was the last thing that would die to help establish a relationship between God and his people. I praise Jesus for that. He's perfect. He makes a perfect offering. And so how do we live our lives in worship to Jesus? We live as living sacrifices. Our bodies that we get are living sacrifices to God. It's a life of sacrificial worship and we do that in a reflection not again not to earn what Jesus done but to show our praise and our thanks for who Jesus is we want to to serve others so think about this uh, think about a life of sacrificial worship what takes up the most time in our lives for a lot of us it is some sort of schooling or work probably takes the most time of our lives so so let me ask you is that just like filling our time and getting some money so then we can just do the real important things does our school does our work matter more to god than that are we able to worship in those things it would be tragic to me to have some view that we think school or family life or something like that is just some sort of a checklist and God doesn't really care until we get back together to go to that place to worship again. And that's the real worship. 
we're thinking about life as sacrificial worship, then it matters what I do at school. It matters how I am as an employee. It matters how I work. It matters if I speak up if an employee is being un treated unfairly or that I don't cut corners on my job or I refuse to spread the gossip or maybe that I try to lead that study at lunchtime or share a little bit with one of my coworkers about uh, my life and my faith. All of those are opportunities to worship that can fill our days. It matters if uh, at home that we, hey, I'm, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to keep the, the laundry going. I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to take some extra time and, and serve the household, and I'm going to, to do that. Those are acts of worship when we decide we're going to serve the people that we live with to keep the household moving. It matters if I plan to respond to God in my day-to-day -day life. It matters if I'm ready to say yes to the Holy Spirit. It matters if I see others as people to serve rather than people to judge. These things matter. These are all sacrificial in the sense that it costs us doing something else or thinking another way and instead looking at how God wants us to be in these areas where we can go and serve him. A life of worship is sacrificial. In many senses, we sacrifice our comfort, we sacrifice our opinion, we sacrifice our way. And in, in looking at the early church, looking at Acts chapter 2, we see a lot of this sacrificial worship in them, in the way these believers are coming together. First of all, they're sacrificing their way. They're repenting and they're trusting Jesus as the way. They're coming under the apostles' leadership and teaching. They're coming under the word of God. They're celebrating communion together. They're praying together. All of these things, and when they do them on a regular basis, are in place of other things that they could be doing to seek their own comfort. Lives of sacrificial worship. I'm so grateful for the picture. These are people who loved one another, cared one another. We'll talk a little bit more about these as we talk about growing in our faith. But even selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, acts of worship coming out of these believers, some of the earliest believers in Jesus Christ besides the disciples. And we see lives of sacrificial worship. Okay, now, I've sort of delayed on this. Uh, what is the one thing we know the most about worship? Right? What is the one thing that perhaps shapes us and forms us the most uh, as new believers or as young children when it comes to worship? It's church, right? I love church. <laughs> it's not wrong to say I love being together with the fellowship. I love being together with the people. I love looking around the room and, and seeing who's here today and praying for people that aren't, uh, aren't with us today. And um, Man, it's good. It's good to do that. But what is it about these gatherings? Let's think, let's think just a little bit as we think about worship. Uh, worship involves powerful gatherings. So we talked about worship in day-to-day -day life, and I want you to see that as essential, orienting your minds to God. And then I want you to see worship in a powerful gathering. Many of you know that I enjoy running. 
So let's say that I or somebody else is going to decide, hey, we're going to uh, go out, we're going to train for a marathon. And I think that we're going to run a 26.2-mile race. Uh, let's set it out 90 days from right now. All right? So what is that? November, December, January, middle of January, we're going to go out and run a 26.2-mile race. And I think that we're going to be able to do that by, I think we run one day a week. We'll be good. What do you think? One day a week. We'll just run some miles, go out, get ourselves in shape. The rest of the days we'll be pounding Pringles and cake and Skittles. And it's just life is going to be wonderful. That's what we're going to do. But that one day a week is going to get us ready to run that marathon, right? Hope you see where I'm going with this. Okay? My, my hope today is in showing the power in the gathering is that we have this relationship where worship fuels us together. Worship. This worship that we experience when we come together in a room. We're joining together that this fuels our life. I hope we see these things playing off each other. When we gather as friends, we have opportunity to worship. Okay, I want to start with worship gatherings that maybe aren't even in this room or in a church building. I believe that when believers gather, that worship can happen. Earlier this year, I left a breakfast meeting I didn't even know who was going to be at this meeting. One of my friends invited me and a couple other people came and we had this intense conversation and, and God was there. I left that breakfast meeting in tears because some things were spoken that really needed to be spoken and they were helpful and encouraging and God's spirit used that breakfast meeting to bring all that about. And so when you gather with your friends, I'm just encourage you, find out how to pray for each other. Share those connection points. God is there when we're gathering and we're worshiping. That's a, a part of worship, and, and he is, is there. All right, so uh, I don't want us to get caught either on um, the concept of the many wonders and signs. Verse 43, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Signs and wonders are amazing. They can validate our faith. They can encourage us to believe in God. But I don't want us to get to a spot where God can't be worshipped unless some miracle is present. I think a lot of times we'll be let down. I want us to think about how do we have power when we gather? This is a question that went through my mind. And I'm not going to give you all the answers today. I'm not capable of doing that. I want to share with you just from my heart that I'm stirring a little bit. Uh, this, is, this is a good time for us uh, to think about are we going through the motions in our gathering? Some of you have been coming to church here longer than I've been alive. <laughs> okay, I've, come, I've been a part of uh, the staff at GAS for a number of years now, but some of you have been coming here way longer than I've been alive. And so it's a great question to ask. Do we come anticipating, desiring, experiencing the power of God in our lives? We see power in the early church and yes there are some signs and wonders that are a part of that all comes upon every soul in verse 43 and they're praising God and we see again they're, they're together in the temple that'd be a, a gathering like this 
but they're also breaking bread in their homes. And so that's where we see this play off together. Um, first of all, <laughs> I would say it is sacrificial to come here. You sacrifice something to say, I'm going to come and be a part of a public worship gathering. So there's a, an element that our living bodies together, we, we join together as living sacrifices before God when we come and we worship. And there's, a, there's power in that. Here's a, 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 a picture of this in 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. They were known for being very selfish. They were known for following the, the leaders of some of the, the early church and not Jesus himself. And they were, had a lot of sin issues. They had some disorder in their worship too and they were over-reliant on some of the supernatural gifts. And Paul writes this to correct that. Okay, look, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law is written by people of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Stay with me if you don't quite understand everything about tongues and prophecy. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Okay, the picture here is that they're speaking in other languages by the power of God, and outsiders come in and say, why is this happening? In that sense, the tongues are not a sign to people on the outside. They're going to confuse them. That's what Paul is saying. But what he says, if all prophesy, if our speaking in our gatherings is based upon the word of God, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, what happens? He's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is what we desire. Is the kind of power when we gather that is based upon God, based upon his word. And the Holy Spirit works in such a way to reveal our secrets, to convict us of our sins, and to know that God is real, and to declare that, because we've been together. There is power in that. And that excites me. There have been times in this room when I and other people have experienced that. And I'm not at all saying, oh man, we're stuck completely in a rut. But as we announced about Andy stepping down from his role, and I can tell you, <laughs> Andy will tell you the same thing, it can be easy to feel sometimes like we're stuck in a rut. It can be easy to feel that way. You go through the same service and the same planning process and we print the bulletins and it can be, it can be easy sometimes to feel like we're stuck. That's nobody's fault. That's just human nature. Look at where the power comes from. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is convicting people. They heard this message in Acts 2 and they were convicted. And it said they were cut to the heart and they weren't sure what to do. And so they repent. And so there's this humility that comes when we're confronting our sin and we're repenting. And what does that do? It lowers our view of ourselves and it raises up who God is. It creates an atmosphere of life change where we're not the ones on the seat of control, where God is. And that's humility. We put God's word first. We come under leadership. And these things are found right here in Acts chapter 2. 
1 Corinthians is the opposite of Acts 2 in many ways, and that's why some of the direction and encouragement is given to us as believers. We need that fresh perspective on what worshiping God together is about. And so as we consider our gatherings, do we desire the power of God in ourselves, our own lives, in each other? Humility before him, celebrating his work, desiring more of that, sacrificing for him and for each other? I don't mean these questions at all as judgment upon anything that we're doing. I mean these as questions designed to give us a fresh look at who we are and what we're doing, how we're participating, how we're interacting with God and others when we come together. Just like that year-over-year vacation or that month-over-month chore that you have to do or that thing that you just feel, hey, maybe I'm stuck in a rut with that. In your bulletin, I included a half sheet today that says, think about worship. Okay, just an exercise. We're going to give you some, some more of this type of stuff throughout this series to get you to the basics. I don't mean that this is going to solve all your problems. Maybe you look at this and go, I'm going to need to do this every day. I want to get reoriented uh, to life. But I want to get you thinking about worship. And I hope that you will take time in your day-to-day life this week and sit down and do this, maybe with your family or by yourself, and just to begin to think about how we're approaching worship. Are we preparing to come here? Do we pray before we come or after we arrive? Do we ask God to be at work? Do we value being on time so we're not rushing into a setting and all hurried because of getting here at the last minute? Are we joining with other believers and asking God to move while we're here? Do we read the scriptures for the morning service or the Sunday school class ahead of time? Do we take the time and do that maybe the night before? Are we available when we're here? Are we available for each other? Are we available to have conversations? Are we distracted? We're distracted by our devices or something we saw on social media that morning. You know, Sunday morning is a great time to just say, I'm going to can the social media until after church is over. I want to be focused on God. I'm not giving you a rule. I'm giving you suggestions. Help us focus. Are we distracted when we come? Are we distracted while we're here? It's a great time to evaluate. The goal is to be humble, to be loving, to want to connect with God, to ask him to work in your soul and in the lives of those that will gather with us this morning, to express love with those that will gather this morning and love for God. The opposite of this is comfort-seeking, self-centered, my opinion over God's word. This applies to somebody else but not me, a judgmental spirit. That's the opposite of what we see, the unity of people coming together. I'm belaboring this just a little bit today because worship is literally one-third of the purpose of our church that we have put down on paper. We value it. We want to encourage you, if you're a part of God's Memorial Church, that together we're pursuing God through sacrificial living, where worship is a part of our lives. And that when we come together, it's not just another thing. It's not another time. But there's space here where we want God to be at work. Stay tuned. We'll be doing some more evaluating, doing some more asking, 
Maybe we'll change a few things, and we'll let you know what some of those will be. But uh, as we go through this, uh, take part in an exercise. Give God some space to, to work in how you, uh, how you are worshiping. Finally, I don't want, I've, this is really all over this. I can't explicitly bring you to a verse in Acts 2 and show you individual worship, okay, where people have these well-defined habits, and this is exactly what you do to be effective. But I don't want to leave this out in a, in a sermon about worship. Individually, they're repenting. They're coming to God. Uh, they're convicted of their sin. And we want to see those, those as realities. God, at times, will convict us of our sin, and we will need to respond. And, and so I, I hope that as you think about um, and maybe going through the experience that we have in your bulletin for you today, that how exciting and how helpful it can be to know God and build that communication with him and that love for him and to be able to be ready to respond as God directs in your life. Maybe that's stopping or confronting a sin or a sinful behavior. Maybe that's an act of love or service towards somebody else. Maybe that's sharing our faith. We'll talk more about that. We want God to lead and guide in our lives. And so I don't want you to miss this sense where we as individuals have these conversations with God. Maybe you're starting your day uh, with worship music. Uh, maybe you're, before you get out of bed, I'm going to get my Bible and I'm going to, I'm going to read it. I'm going to turn on a light and I'm going to read it before I go out that bedroom door and get into whatever's going on or before I turn on the news or the sports or whatever. I'm just going to start it with God and I'm going to relate to him and worship him and give him my day. And then the same thing at night as we wind down. Are we thanking God for the day? Are we uh, talking to him throughout the day? I want to just give you this vision of, of relationship of ongoing communication and as you do that just like with any relationship it will tighten up and it will build and you will begin to know him so well that you can rely on him we desire this life-changing worship when it's a part of our lives when we live sacrificially when we experience power in gathering it will change our lives and it will help us to worship him more and more as individuals day by day